KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzet Torah. Listening to the Erev Shabbat program, Erev Shabbat Kodesh, Parashat Vayetze, Yud Kislev. The Erev Shabbat program is Lilui Nishmat Shlomo Yosef and Chaim Shmuel, and I am your host, Jonathan Snowbell. It's an interesting uh, topic to think about how uh, over the years that I've been presenting, talking on, speaking on KMTT, how my preparation has developed. Because I remember the first year that I gave it, I remember a Bic approaching me in the Beit Midrash in the Yishuv Shul, the main Shul of Alon Shavut, and asking me if I would like to do it. And I said, sure. And I sat at home and I wrote down a script, word for word. And... As it tends to be, someone who's using a script, I think I was short by a lot. In other words, there was no freedom to uh, to take it where it goes, to let it flow, because I had a script, and I was using the script, and when I was finished the script, that was the end. Today when I'm preparing, preparing is more of a mental state. There's no time for preparing. There is always time for preparing and never time for preparing. I never sit down to prepare. But whenever I am in transit, driving, moving, thinking, uh, my thoughts go to what I'm going to be speaking about. And usually I'm in a panic. Oh my gosh, what am I going to be speaking about? So this week I would say... There was just something that I was fighting with, this, that, a certain question that was in my mind. And as I'm driving up at about 5.30 in the morning towards the Shiva, and I'm not always privileged to be driving up, usually I'm walking up, um, something just clicked that I was toying with, and something that I think uh, ought to be presented though it'll be short, and I'll move on to something else that I was planning on doing as well, because I think it's the right opportunity to discuss this. We have three umot ha'avot ha'uma, we have three forefathers, Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and the question in different formulations can be asked as the need for three. What what is that exactly achieved for us that there were three? Why couldn't Abraham had have have had twelve children? Why couldn't Yitzchak have had twelve children? Why did we go through three? What does that establish for us? the The question is, to a certain extent, even sharpened when we go through, which I will not go through right now an extensive comparison, and I believe uh, my wife spoke about this in her shir in Matan this past week, which you could find online on Matan's website, the, uh, an extensive comparison between Yaakov and Avraham. So I'm referencing you to click somewhere else to see this comparison, it's, and also an audio shir. Uh, and in fact, it's an audio-visual shir. If you go to Matan's website, ooh, I shouldn't be doing advertising for Matan's website, but it's for my wife, so it's for a good cause. And there you'll see, as I said, a comparison between 
many things in Avraham's life and Yaakov's life. So the, the, the question becomes even further. In other words, if Avraham and Yaakov are such similar figures, why did we do this all over again? Why couldn't this have just been done properly from the beginning? I don't think I'm going to exhaust the answer here by any stretch of the imagination, but I do want to just give one model for thinking about it. And I think about it in terms of today and our relationship to Eretz Yisrael, because that's really what I wanted to talk about today. Every once in a while I need to get this bug out of my system and address the issue of Eretz Yisrael. And it's an it's a str- issue that comes up very strongly in the Parsha, because Yaakov leaves Eretz Yisrael and returns to Eretz Yisrael from the beginning of the Parsha till the end of the Parsha. And because I was thinking about this, at least within this, uh, at least within this framework, there's an understanding for the need for three avota uma, three forefathers, fathers of the nation. Avraham Avinu is someone who didn't grow up in Eretz Yisrael. He developed his relationship to Eretz Yisrael from far away. He had to strive for Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael was not his. He was not born there. He came to Eretz Yisrael into a foreign land. Ger, v'toshav, anochim, achem. Eretz Yisrael, he became a citizen. He became a toshav. But he's a ger, v'toshav. I'm really an outsider, and I also live here. And that's one model for relationship with Eretz Yisrael. The strength of this model is that Eretz Yisrael is not something that you take for granted. It was not something that you always had. It's something that you strove for. You had to overcome difficulties in order to get there. Once you got there, you're still, to a certain extent, to a large extent, a foreigner in this land. And that's the that's the... That's the model that Avraham Avinu has for us, and that's a model that um, exists today as well. Yitzchak Avinu is the Tzabra. Yitzchak Avinu is born in Eretz Yisrael. He never leaves Eretz Yisrael. And, again, for better or for worse, he's not allowed to leave Eretz Yisrael. Were there missed opportunities by not leaving Eretz Yisrael? Perhaps. But his connection to the land is one that, on the one hand, he doesn't strive for Eretz Yisrael because he's always in Eretz Yisrael. He was born in Eretz Yisrael. On the other hand, Eretz Yisrael is in his bones. He was born there. It's familiar to him. It's his. He's not looking around and trying to find his place there, it's his. Yaakov Avinu, as Yaakov Avinu does in many different aspects, is somewhere in the middle. Often we talk about, uh, and this is something in the Kabbalah, which is uh, stressed that Yaakov Avinu is some sort of balance between Avraham and Yitzchak, Avraham more being to the side of Midat HaRachamim, Yitzchak Avinu, Avraham Avinu being to the side of the of, of mercy, and Yitzchak Avinu being to the side of side of Dean judgment, and Yaakov is Tiferet, which is some sort of combination of the two. I'm not an expert on this matter, but here too, Yaakov Avinu then is some sort of 
combination of the two. Yaakov Avinu is born in Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is his. He grew up in Eretz Yisrael. On the other hand, he leaves Eretz Yisrael for over roughly 20 years. And he has to strive for Eretz Yisrael. Once he comes back, he comes back to a new reality. He has to overcome difficulties to return to Eretz Yisrael. He has to face his brother. He has to come back with a family of 12, 12 children at the time. Benjamin is born subsequently, the 13th child, 12th son. With wives, he's got, he's got to start himself anew in Eretz Yisrael because whatever infrastructure for succeeding in for succeeding he had in Chutzlaretz may or may not exist in Eretz Yisrael he has to come back to come to Eretz Yisrael as Avram Avinu does although he's coming back to a place which is familiar he was born there he lived there he grew up there in 20 years things didn't change at the pace that things change today he was coming back to a familiar place so Yaakov Avinu on the one hand combines the connection to the land that the Tzabar has, someone who's born here, someone who knows Eretz Yisrael like the palm of his hand. On the other hand, he strives for Eretz Yisrael like Avram Avinu did. It's not something that he takes for granted. It's something that he has to strive for. Something that he has to work hard for. Again, not to say that the Tzabar doesn't have to work for, hard for, for for Eretz Yisrael, because we know that living in Eretz Yisrael itself is a challenge. But we understand that there's a different challenge to overcome coming from outside Eretz Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael as opposed to just being here the whole time. In that sense, I feel that uh, vis-a-vis our relationship to Eretz Yisrael, the three fathers then give us three models which exist today. The, the Jew from North America, from England, from Australia, from Ethiopia, from Russia, from South America, who just don't belong here. They were born in a different country. They were raised in a different cult- country, different culture. But for an ideological reason, their belief in the importance, the centrality of Eretz Yisrael to the Jewish people, they pick up and go, those are B'nai Avraham Avinu. Then we have Jews who were born in Eretz Yisrael, many Jews who were born in Eretz Yisrael, who live in Eretz Yisrael, who struggle for Eretz Yisrael constantly. They are, to a large extent, leaders in the country today. There aren't many olim who, are, who have the same uh, position in government in Eretz Yisrael. That those are the B'nai Yitzchak Avinu. And then we have this unique thing today, which is very unique to the modern world, which is people who are going back and forth to Eretz Yisrael. They're leaving Eretz Yisrael, and hopefully they're also coming back to Eretz Yisrael. And if they do that, they can be B'nai Yaakov Avinu. They can't just be B'nai Yaakov Avinu by leaving Eretz Yisrael after living here. That's not particularly impressive. What's impressive is leaving Eretz Yisrael, establishing a life in Chutz Laaretz, and then actually coming back to Eretz Yisrael. And these are people who are maybe shlichim, but maybe these are also people who do more intensive 
set more intensive roots for themselves in Chutz Laaretz by actually living there. Shlichim go for a job which is limited in time, which people aren't interested in them if they stay long term, because then they're no longer Shlichim and then they come back. But we have many people in academia and business who are B'nai Eretz Yisrael like Yaakov Avinu and left Eretz Yisrael, for better or for worse. And if they come back to Eretz Yisrael, then they are truly B'nai Yaakov Avinu because they have strived to return to Eretz Yisrael despite whatever was established in Chutz Laaretz and they come back. The Gemara at the end of the fifth parak of Baba Batra, and this is what I initially had in mind to speak about, discusses, it's the end, the end of the fifth parak, and we just did this in Dafyomi, but at the end of last week, leaving Eretz Yisrael, under what conditions we are allowed to leave Eretz Yisrael, and, and the discussion comes around Machlon V'chilion and Eli Melech, who left Eretz Yisrael, and the Gemara even entertains the fact that it's very possible that the halachic conditions for permitting them to leave Eretz Yisrael were there. But, in different formulations, they were the leaders of the generation. It wasn't for them to abandon their, their people at their time of need. They were they were supposed to pray for others, not just take care of their personal needs. They gave up from the possibility of being saved. All these things relate to why they ended up with the fate that they ended up with in Chutzlaretz, they ended up childless in Chutzlaretz, they ended up dead in Chutzlaretz, they ended up destitute. Naomi and Ruth returned destitute to Eretz Yisrael because of the incorrect relationship with Eretz Yisrael. Leaving Eretz Yisrael then is a danger, it's a risk, it's not the right thing to do, clearly. Yaakov Avinu was pushed to leave Eretz Yisrael because of danger to his life. He was pushed to leave Eretz Yisrael because of because he needed to find a wife. Again, the Rambam discusses in Hilchot Malachim that there are three reasons to permit going to Chutzlaretz. One is for marrying a wife, one is for learning Torah, and one is for Parnassah. And Parnassah is the most difficult one because, again, what we, one calls Parnassah today and what one calls Parnassah then. Can we make a living in Eretz Yisrael? Can we make the same type of living in Chutz Laaretz? What is Parnassah? In the Gemara it's very clear that Parnassah is the ability to sustain oneself. Sustaining oneself does not necessarily mean having lots and lots of money. It might be getting by every month. It's not necessarily appropriate for everybody. What is sustaining oneself in a modern economy when people are expected to not just put food on the table, but to send their children to school, to send their children to university, to help them with a down payment on a house. All very difficult questions. But people have been living in Eretz Yisrael now, for, and there's been a state here for over 60 years. And to claim that one is going to Chutzlars for Parnassah, one has to be very, very judging and balancing to see if this is 
really within what the Gemara describes as Parnasa. And again, I don't think that the parameters that are described in the Gemara are necessarily ones to go by, though I could hear someone saying that, yeah, that's, can you sustain yourself? Can you get through the month or not? And that's the, that's the parameter, and not wanting all these other things that I described, and social and, and, uh, and, and financial security. Maybe those things are not necessarily uh, legitimate within the halachic terminology of Parnassah. I'm not giving an answer on that. However, be it it may, let's all strive, on this point we'll end and hand over the the microphone to Rav Bick. If we're in Chutz Laaretz, we've never lived here, let's strive to be B'nai Avraham Avinu. If we're living in Eretz Yisrael, if we were born and raised in Eretz Yisrael, let's strive to be B'nai Yitzchak Avinu. And if we are those people who have picked up, left Eretz Yisrael, and gone to Chutz Laaretz, and at this point, really what's the difference, what the reason is, if it was justified or not justified, in your eyes, in other people's eyes, pick yourself up and come back to Eretz Yisrael and be B'nai Yaakov Avinu. Because if you just leave Eretz Yisrael and go to Chutz Laaretz, you're not B'nai Avraham Avinu, you're not B'nai Yitzchak Avinu, and you're certainly not B'nai Yaakov Avinu. What you are are B'nai Machlon V'chilyon. That's not a very desirable title. In any case, on that note, let's all be either B'nai Avraham, Yitzchak, or Yaakov. We have three fathers. We can strive to be like one of them in this relationship to Eretz Yisrael. And let's, and let's make that a goal of ours. And on that note, once again, I'll hand over the microphone to Rav Bik. Shabbat Shalom. This week, Parshat Vayetze. Parshat Vayetze is a fascinating Pasha. Uh, it was a bit leaner, somewhat less uh, less examples of halachot or things, musarim, lekachim, that are learned from the Pasha. I had to work a little bit harder to uh, to find uh, to find things. I'm sure everybody could find some things, but okay, these are the ones I wish to share with you. Um, Aside from an obvious one, in the beginning of the Pasha, which the Gemara in Bechot says is the Makor for Tfilat Arvit. In other words, that opinion which says that the Avot Tiknut Tfilot, that the different Tfilot of the day were enacted by the Avot, and Avraham uh, instituted Shacharit, Yitzchak instituted Mincha, Yaakov instituted Tfilat Arvit, and it was in the beginning of this Pasha, so Yaakov Avinu, when leaving his house, it was nighttime, and he, he davened. It's a drush. He davened in that place. Which place was he? He was, in fact, uh, in Yerushalayim, in the area of the, the place of the Beit, the Beit Hamikdash. Uh, I'm skipping that because it's well known. It's a, uh, it's a famous Gemara, uh, quoted by the Rambam, and uh, therefore I don't think it's um, much of a chidush for the listeners. One small uh, thing that's learned from the continuation of that, of that Jewish. If Yaakov Avinu is davening, then the makom is important. Uh, this is 
reflect it mirrors something that took place by Avraham as well. Avraham's pasuk for Shacharit is found in the beginning of uh, towards the beginning of Pashad Vayera, um, where uh, Avraham, after in connection with the story of of Stom, when Stom is being destroyed, and uh, Avraham, it says Avraham came back. That's the place where we learn Shacharit from. Because he came back to the place where he had stood with the face of God. Which was interpreted to mean that it was, uh, was Tefillah. But we also learn from that uh, that he came back to the same place he'd been yesterday. In other words, Avraham had a place since he'd spoken to God yesterday there. He came back to speak there again. So the place is important. In our case, this is one of the Mikorot. It's not the Oraita, uh, a, 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 a source that has the Oraita status, but it's a source for the special position of Yerushalayim, of the Beit HaMikdash, for, uh, for Tefillah. In Pirkei uh, de Rabbi Elezer, not going on this pasuk, but going on what comes back a little bit later. Vayikatsi Yaakov Mishenato Vayom Achin Neish Hashem Makom Azav Anochi Lo Yadati Vayirav Vayoma Manora Makom Azav Ein Zekim Beit Elokim. V'zeh Shashemayim Yaakov Avinu When he woke up, said, "This is." He woke up and he had the dream of the Sulam of the ladder. He said, "This is. This is no other place than the house of God, and this is the gate to heaven." So the Pirkei de Elezer in Perak Lamed Hey says, "Hishkim Yaakov Pachad Gadol." Yaakov woke up with great fear and said, this is the house of God is in this place. And then the Pekadeleza adds, Mikan atalameid, from here you derive, you learn, Shekol hamitpaleh b'makom hazeh b'Yerushalayim kiil vitpaleh lifnei kiseh kavod. You learn from this that he who davens in this place in Yerushalayim, the place where Yaakov was, it's as though he was davening before the throne of glory. Shashar Hashamayim Shamhu, for it is the gate of heaven. Upetach Patuach Lishmoat Fila, and there is an, always an open gate, a wide open gate, to hear prayer. As it said, Vizeh Shar Hashamayim. So the Pirkei Dvorah learns from uh, it learns from another pasuk. I think it could be. Well, it learns from the language, but by Yifkav Makom, to remember which place it was. He was in a special place. That place is Yushalayim, Makom HaMikdash, today what we call more or less the Kotal HaMaravi. And the Pekadazah says that it's a different kind of a tefillah there. It's Mitpalel, Lifnei Kisei HaKavod, Petach Patuach Lishmoa Tefillah. The Sukkim I want to talk about is a different, uh, a different set. Somewhat later, Yaakov has met Rachel, has moved in to uh, to Lavan's house, and uh, he wishes to get married. He's making this deal. Pasuk says, "Malei shavu azot." Lavan says to uh, Yaakov in the morning when he wakes up and discovers that he has the wrong girl. He's married Leah instead of Rachel. He says, "What about Rachel?" So. Rabbi says to him, okay, finish the week and you can marry her, then, and then work for me another seven years. 
This Malay Shavuazat, what, what, why did he have to wait a week? So, be Pekid Labadezer, Perek Tedzayim, says, Rabbi Yossi Omer, Minayin Anu Lemedin Zayin Yemea Mishta, Miya Akov Avinu, Shinemar Malay Shavuazat. Rabbi Yossi said that this is the source for Zayin Yemea Mishta, what we call Shavuachas, the week of Shavuachas. Not the Bachot, but the week. The week of celebration that follows the wedding is learned from here. Now, the Gemara says it's only the Rabbanan. It's a Takana of Moshe Rabbeinu. They have Zayin Yimei HaMishteh, seven days of rejoicing. So this is not actually the Halachic source. But since it's actually Pshat, it's not even a Drush here, it's the, perhaps the Halachic parallel. It served as the inspiration for uh, the Takanat Chazal, for the Takana, for the enactment of Zayin Yemei HaMishter. What's interesting is that the Pekad Abadazah brings a second source. Rebbe Yomer Mishimshon. It's learned from Shimshon HaGibor, who also had Shivat Yemei HaMishter when he got when he got married. It's a bit strange. I mean, if, let's say there are two sources, but a source from the Torah should trump a source from the Nevi'im. And the source here is, is really pretty, is, is somewhat more explicit. Um, it's interesting why Rabbi uh, Rabbi Rabbi Omer why Rabbi would not learn it from Yaakov but learn it from Shimshan I suspect one of the reasons is something which has bothered me about a number will come up today as well a number of things about things which are learned from this Pasha is how do we learn things from Lavan the fact that Lavan said I want you to wake seven days just shows us that Lavan Ha'arami not one of the great heroes of the Torah not a great spiritual source for anything thought that you should have seven days. So maybe it's an Iranian custom. The same thing applies to the very famous statement of Lavan, who told Yaakov that the reason why he switched the girls was because We don't. it's not acceptable here to marry off the older daughter before the younger daughter. And I've seen that statement quoted almost the halacha. People have claimed that, you know, that, that's the right thing. You should not let... You should not marry off, you should not let, you should not agree, it should not take place that the younger daughter should get married before the older daughter. And I always said to myself, It's not the custom in Aram, but maybe it's the custom in, in Israel. I mean, why is that a source? So here, it doesn't say Bim Komeinu, but it could be that that's the Machloket. But we also thought that Lavan's saying to Yaakov, Malay Shavu Azot, is a good source that it's the proper thing to have seven days, and therefore Moshe Rabbeinu was mitaken on this basis. And maybe just thought you shouldn't bring a proof from Levan. He preferred bringing it from Shimshon. Shimshon may also not be a a hundred percent clear and simple case of he who we should emulate. But nonetheless, he is Jewish, and therefore, if he suggested seven days, it might might show that it's a Jewish minute. It's a it's a proper Jewish activity. Um, in this context, there's another thing that the Medrash Rabbah says is learned from uh, Lavan. And here it's, it's purely Lavan. Uh, Lavan, some few psukim beforehand, had said to Yaakov, you know, if you go to work, I'll pay you. And then Yaakov works for seven years and, and his payment is, should have been Machel, was to, was to get a bride and not, not to get money. And it says as follows, that Lavan says to Yaakov, Ach, atzmi ubesari ata, Lavan says to Yaakov, when he first meets him, you are my flesh and blood. 
my bones and my meat, my bones and my flesh. And that's why he, he planted, that's his greeting, he lets him into his home. And then it says that Yaakov lived there for a month, and then Levan says, let's make your settlement here, you're living in my home, more formal, you'll work for me and I'll pay you, you shouldn't work for me for free. The Medrash Rabbah on the, on the spot says, Notice the language. From here we learn. The Torah teaches us. Okay, it's not halacha. It's the proper way of the world. We learn from here that a person should um, I'm not 100% sure. I, sus- I think the proper explanation is from Yaakov. Yaakov, after a month, began to feel uncomfortable. Till, how long can a person be tafel, be dependent on his relatives? A month. But since it's a statement of Lavan in the Pasuk, uh, although, depends how you read the Pasuk, I, I, when I first read it, I thought that Lavan took care of for free. He was had this poor relative show up on his door, took care of him for a month. After that, he's not required to do it anymore, and therefore says, you should work for me, and then, and, and then you can stay. And then I'd be a little bit surprised with learning such things from Lavan. It could be Lavan was a, uh, was a cheapskate. He didn't want to do more. Um, but if we read it as, Lavan said, but then it's not Lavan speaking. The Pasuk says, you say that only a month, even though the next Pasuk is Lavan speaking to him, maybe the Midrash perceived that Lavan said it because he only lived there for a month. What did he do at the end of the month? He didn't leave, but maybe he gave signs that he was feeling uncomfortable. And then Lavan said to him, let's formalize our relationship, that it was Yaakov who chose not to camp out, not to hang out in Lavan's house more than a month, which we do learn, Derech Eretz. A month you can mooch off your relatives. After that, it's already not proper. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not Derech Eretz. Going back to the um, previous um, statement of Malay Shavu Azat, which we learn, or it, it exemplifies a week um, celebration, but there's another point on it as well. Okay, he said, let's have a week. But he also refused to let Yaakov marry Leah within that week. You could have had a week celebration, but he, Yaakov really, uh, I'm sorry, Rachel, Yaakov really wants to marry Rachel. In fact, Rachel didn't promise him. So maybe she marry Rachel right away. And, and, and then have Shabbos, or even maybe even 14 days of, of, of celebration. So this, the Gemara states, is an example of a, a principle that you, you can't do that. And it's said in two different ways. Um, I'm quoting from the Yerushalmi in Moed Katan. The, the Babli is somewhat similar, but not as explicit. Yerushalmi says, Ein nosim nashim this, is a, this is a Mishnah. Uh, you're not allowed to get married on Chalam Moed. Why not? Rabbi Ila, Rabbi Leza, Bishem, Rabbi Chananya. Hashem she'am'ein ma'arvim simcha b'simcha. The reason is that one is not permitted to uh, to mix. You should keep your smachot pure. You don't mix your smachot. So the halacha in the Mishnah is that if it's cholamoid, it's simcha taregel, the simcha of the holiday, you don't get married because you should give each Apparently, this is the reason you should give each simcha your full and undivided attention. So, since there is a din of a week of 
celebration. So when one woman gets married in this week of celebration, you, in this case Yaakov, maybe her father, their father, Lavan, should not have another wedding because the first wedding deserves to have unadulterated simcha of seven days. We don't mix one simcha with another simcha. Um, and then where is that learned from? So, one source quoted Rabbi Shamala Min Hada. Where did he learn this from? There's a uh, when the mizbeach was built by Shlomo Hamelech was built uh, was finished close to the time of Sukkot, and the pasuk says that they had seven days for Chanukat Hamizbeach and seven days for Sukkot. So they didn't mix it with Sukkot. But what's interesting is the second one, Rabbi Yaakov, Rabbi Yaakov Bar Acha Shamala Min Hada, Malay Shabu Azad. Rabbi Yaakov Bar Acha learned the principle of Ein Ma'avim Simcha B'Simcha from the fact that Lavan refused to let uh, Yaakov marry Rachel until the seven days of rejoicing for Le'ah would be, would be completed. That this Pasuk tells us, one, there should be seven days of rejoicing, and two, you can't get married until they're, until they're over. The original halacha is not to get married from and it's you shouldn't get married. And this is an extreme case. Jacob's marrying two women. You cannot marry two women within the same seven days. You marry one wife, give her seven days, then you marry another one. Um, the, the Yushami has another opinion as for the whole halacha. The reason is because it's not that you have to have each simcha separately, but in terms of weddings specifically, there's a lot of work involved. And Mishum HaTorach. On Yantif, on Cholomoed, Torach is also a work, um, a great bother is also. So to arrange a wedding on Cholomoed is also because it, it's not Pogea, one Simcha is Pogea by another Simcha, but the work involved in weddings, specifically I think weddings, uh, will affect Simchat Yom Tov, and there's a specific issue called Torach. So this would not apply to having two weddings consecutively. It might be a difficult thing to do, but there's no Isur of Torah. And, and it also could be that it's only applies to weddings, but it applies to other kinds of smachot. It's a much less general principle, and much more, uh, much more limited. Presumably Rabbi Yaakov Acha, I'm sorry, Rabbi Bo, B'Shem Torah, doesn't learn it from these pasukim. He doesn't learn it from any pasuk. It's simply, he thought it was an automatic halacha, that derives from the fact that Torah, bother, uh, <coughs> work, and, and fussing about is forbidden on, uh, on Chalamoid. And that's it for this week's Pasha. We'll be back next week in Mitzvah Shem. Till then, Shabbat Shalom, Umevorach.